It's time for another bisexual brunch with Lewis Oakley, Nikki Hodgson, and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So the first bisexual brunch of 2022. I can't believe it's 2022, to be honest. And I don't think I'm ready for it. I um, I was ill for most of Christmas. It wasn't COVID. I had some kind of fluey, horrible bug. And it took me until sort of the last two days of sort of the New Year holiday to feel actually as though I was having a break. Cheated after all that hard work last year. And I know you do like, you like... Twixmas, don't you? Well, I like, to, I like that period between Christmas. Christmas and New Year. It's sort of yeah. it's supposed to be time to relax. Everyone else is yeah. saying, "Oh, it's time to move on," but I like to relax. But I didn't really do. Apart from going to see, I saw two films. I saw West Side Story, which I thought was very good, mm-hmm. um, and uh, on a par with the with the original, to be honest. As far as I was concerned, I think the original slightly better because I think the color the color texture was brilliant and Technicolor. But generally, I thought it was exceptionally good. Um, and uh, and then then accidentally I went to see a film uh, called Licorice Pizza, which um, well I won't get those two hours back. Let's put it that way. It was it was it was authentic. It, it was very seventies, which is what it's supposed to be. I thought it was very well acted, but there was just no story to it. It was like I was thinking all, all the way through. I was thinking, what's actually the story to this? But obviously, being a cynic. Um, it's probably lined up for a, um, an Academy Award at the Oscars because every film that comes out in December, January and February tends to end up being nominated, doesn't it? Am I, am I a cynic? No, but that is a tactic thing, isn't it? That they push the release, if they can, till, to the end of the period. They push the release to the end of the year to see if like see what the competition is and then they kind of changed our PR plan and things based yeah, on yeah. what it else has feel, come out. It always out. feels a bit of a cheat, really, in a way. Yeah, it's like, what about it all those other films that did quite well at the, the other part of the year you know what i mean so if you if you can help it you should never come out in march no for that reason no, exactly. if you want an oscar or an award yeah yeah definitely. exactly so so yeah no it's it's so it's, it was nice to, to go and see those films but then i just i'm just i just cannot get into the mode of of actually wanting to physically do any work i've got no i've got no enthusiasm that's the problem it's weird it's all been pumped out of me i don't know what you feel but that's how i, I don't i don't think that's weird at all Monday well, hang on. No, Monday was the bank holiday, wasn't it? Yeah. And I actually did some telly and then I was like, well, that's easy. That's a way to get myself in. But that was fun. And then Tuesday was going through emails from three weeks ago and realising all the stuff I didn't organise before Christmas that I now had to deal with. Yeah, that's This problem, week hasn't it? been that fun. It's been very boring and monotonous. Hopefully this week will be more entertaining. But I was thinking about, I had a really good Christmas holiday and I, uh, I went to see the production of Cabaret that's on in uh, the West End at the oh, minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. With Jesse Buckley and Eddie Redmayne. Now, Eddie Redmayne, I've never thought twice about him, but he is a revelation in this production of Cabaret. He's so sexy. And the you know the famous Three Ladies song? Uh, two Ladies song, sorry. The famous Two Ladies song when it's like the threesome song? Yeah, It's yeah. just so good. I can't even describe how good it is. 
Yeah, no, I'm just going to see that. Is it still on, isn't it, I presume, for a while? It's yeah. still on. It's on until May. Right. I suspect that Eddie Redmayne won't be in for much longer. But it's a bit pricey, but if you've got time, it's so worth it. We, yeah. It was just a gorgeous thing to do before between Christmas and New Year. But now getting into the new year and realising <laughs> all those things we haven't done that we've got to do and just not yeah. being really in the mood Payday's for... Payday's too far away. Everything's miserable. It's still dark and cold only. Now you can't drown yourself in mince pies and sherry. <laughs> Me and my husband are doing dry January. I lasted four days, fell off the wagon, had a margarita and got back on the wagon. Because he was like, don't you dare. So I'm like, oh, I forgot. But I actually feel a lot better for not drinking. Um, and I say that... With a little segue to mine and Lewis's Christmas catch-up, which was rather boozy, wasn't it, Lewis? Yeah, so finally got to see Nikki in the flesh for like, the first time in, like, a pandemic. Like, I, I think we saw each other once, maybe, like, at the yeah. beginning of the pandemic. I can't really remember. Just but, before um, the pandemic. It's been, like, two years. It's been, like, two years. So insane, because obviously we do this podcast together... And I'm like, I think we're really honest with it. But obviously, sometimes after a couple of drinks, you can actually be even more honest <laughs> when you're in person and, you, and you're not putting something out for the world to listen to. So actually, it was so nice to just kind of like have a proper catch up and just like, um, just like connect again in person. It was <laughs> just, lovely. Yeah, honestly. it was so good. Just say like everything off the record. We went to disrepute. We had all the cocktails. We had the cocktail that we I came did. up with the name of called Hotsy Totsy, <laughs> which is like, it's like um, a gin martini and Hotsy Totsy is 1920s slang for something that's fabulous. Okay. So Fantastic. people love it just for the uh, rhyme, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Lewis had about three <laughs> Hotsy Totsies, maybe. <laughs> anyway, I went, I went, I went, I should just go into the numbers anyway. And you, but, you, and you put this picture out, we put this picture out of you uh, <laughs> on, 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 on the Bisexual Brunch uh, Twitter feed and... There's a person in the background, a lady in the background with purple hair. She seemed to, it's as though she was the bisexual god or something, just looking well, down. Well, it was like she's like the ghost of bisexual Christmas to come or something. I don't know. It was really funny. Because I don't remember seeing her in the bar, but she was so distinctive no. in the picture. And it was a bit of like, oh, that's a bit of an omen. I don't know. We weren't Yeah, quite it was really point. strange. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was really strange. So we were obviously, we were just focused on trying to get a nice picture and we couldn't get a good picture for we ages. Couldn't. And then we finally got one. I was like, oh, that's good. And then I was like, who is that woman in the background that's not here now? I was like, oh, well, <laughs> we'll get permission from her later. Well, we, uh, we, you, you and I, of course, Nikki, did manage to meet up at the awards back in that's true, uh, Ash, November. That's true. Me and you have seen each other, but me and Lewis haven't seen each but other what for I a know, longer what, time. What, what was weird about that, and a lot of people I've not seen for ages, even though I've been working with them on Zoom and whatever, is I'd forgotten what they... It sounds stupid, this. But I'd forgotten what, what people were like in their wholeness in terms of yes, them as a their as, presence yeah their presence. And, and also yeah. The, how, how how tall they were or short they were or whatever <laughs> yeah. and, and it's weird it's weird so that was a real revel because all i've been seeing is people's headshots for the last two years yeah. you know what i mean really you definitely are lacking something the warmth that you feel towards people you actually like when you see them again is really encouraging i was delighted to see lewis and, um, yeah, it's funny because we did talk about a lot of stuff off the record that was even <laughs> off the record for bisexual brunch, but we were sort of, like, very loud as well. Well, I, I, oft, I often think we're, we're very about. candid on, <laughs> on bisexual brunch, but we could be even candid. candid well, we, we right? went there, didn't we, Lou? Like, we, we, went, we, went, we got even more candid, but then we didn't remember any we of it because we got so drunk. <laughs> we so did. All we, in the midst of we, time. The thing is, we had all the intention in the world to, like, do a, do a bit of a recording, like, there and then, and, like... <laughs> Like get some like tipsy tipsy insight in, but um, we just we forgot. went overboard. We went overboard. It was good that we didn't record that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we're going to try and be candid on this edition of uh, Bisexual Brunch because we're going to be talking mainly um, about the issue of open relationships. We've got a special guest coming up. We've got Rachel Krantz, who's a journalist and author of a new book called Open. And we'll be hearing from Rachel very shortly. And our personal journey story this time is from Bridget Frame from Michigan, who has only recently come out as bisexual to her very straight male partner. Um, it's quite a, quite a revelation, some of that. So we'll be hearing from Bridget a little bit later on. So in a moment, we'll 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 link up with uh, with Rachel in, in in the states to talk about her new book, Open. But let's kick things off on this particular issue. We've often talked, haven't we, about uh, the issue of, of non-monogamy, and we spent a lot of the time we first started doing bisexual brunch, spending a lot of time saying. Um, just because you're bisexual, it doesn't mean to say that you sleep around all the time. You can be monogamous. And it was like, it became an apology all the time. And then we 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 did one program where we said, you know what, we shouldn't apologise. There are people out there who want to be non-monogamous and are into that kind of thing and want, you know, want an open relationship, etc. So I just thought we'd kick things off a little bit on this. Um, Nikki, you have done quite a lot of um, research and and writing over many, many times around sexuality and attitudes to sexuality and all that kind of thing. Um, It feels to me as though bisexuality is still very much a taboo in its own little way, Um, but open relationships are just as much of a taboo. So if you put bisexuality and open relationships together, you've got double taboo going on there. Have we always, do you think, had a... Or had we for a long time had an issue with the the, the situation thing around monogamy? How long has that gone on? Is it, am, I, am I am I you know am I sort of um, making it up in the sense I'm I, in my mind I think there were periods of in history where people just got on with it and weren't bothered about monogamy as such. What's your understanding of it? Well, from my reading and research, which is by no means definitive. What I have kind of come to the conclusion of is that it's very class-based whether you can be non-monogamous and whether people care or not. So um, in the, the sort of 18th century, the Georgian era, there were lots of aristocratic and noble people and landowners that were non-monogamous. But uh, it was a kind of sort of held secret in the confines of the social circles in which they mixed There were certain rules about how much you could or could not humiliate your spouse that you were technically married to, uh, how much time you could spend with your your kind of second partner. But it was accepted amongst a certain class of people. Now, if you were of a lower class, no, you couldn't be non-monogamous because that was seen as kind of being the scourge of the earth. That was going to lead to teenage pregnancies, unwanted babies, the breakdown of society. So I think what's really important is that we are on the precipice of society understanding that you can be non-monogamous in any class bracket. We're not quite there yet, but we're on the periphery of that. And that's why it's so hard to knock down, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I spend most of my time apologising for it, apologising for even thinking about it. Um, it. Within relationships where it's been actually, in certain circumstances I've had, it's actually been okay. Uh, even then, feeling gu- very, very guilty about the whole issue and, you know, often not going there because of that, you know, feeling guilt kind of thing. Because it isn't something which is, I mean, obviously we know the issues of, of, of jealousy and all the rest of it do come into it and all that kind of thing. But we still have an issue, don't we, with with, with understanding the differences between what is sex 
and what is sex and love and what is love and you know we we we've it's a very sort of gray area Lewis, what's your own experience of this i know you're in a monogamous relationship now but have you been in a open relationship at any point oh yeah back in the day in my youth ash um <laughs> i mean i was like 22 year old not wanting to have too many strings but also at the time being in a same-sex relationship so it's it felt easier um it got messy towards the end um and i would say i think that's probably why i wouldn't do it again if that makes it i think i think in principle for me anyway it was like oh yeah what's the problem with it i think it's a little bit i think having that experience and now coming out the other side of it i'm like mm, probably wouldn't do that again but then obviously being in a in a opposite sex relationship now I think it's a bit trickier. I do also think, I was thinking about this the other day, I think it's just going to take some time. Like, think about the world we grew up in. I mean, we're here doing bisexual brunch because literally we, we never really heard the word bisexual growing up. And all of that kind of, I mean, if sexuality in itself has been hidden and shut up, don't talk about it, beat it down, then different attitudes towards how a sexual relationship can work also have. So it's just going to take time. It's going to take time for people to normalize it. It's going to take time. Because imagine now, and this is probably, I mean, I feel like as bisexuals, a lot of the time we're freestyling anyway. It's not like we have this wealth of information all the time to draw on. And that was probably the same with when I had an open relationship. It was like, well, we're just making it up. But actually, sometimes you need society to have said, oh, you know what? Other people have tried this. This is this is the rules they had in place that worked for them. This other couple said that that was actually terrible, and this is what worked for them. I think we just need more more examples, more people to be open about it, so that people can negotiate for themselves. But I think it's one of those things where you see it a lot in um, in TV shows where people go to do it, and then they see someone else on top of their partner and, and lose their mind. That's still very. Um, I'd say that's so very prevalent. I feel like I was watching Gogglebox and literally saw that scene like not too long ago. But it's funny, isn't it? Because if you watch something like Love Island, which is meant to be about the ultimate coupling up to win the prize money, they are basically non-monogamous because they're constantly swapping. Okay, it's very temporary periods of serial monogamy. It's like serial monogamy on speed, you could argue. But I sort of just think, well, why don't you just let them all, if they all, if like three of them fancy each other and they want to have a go at that or... Four of them want to swing, like let them have a go at that. It'd just be so much more interesting and so much more real. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I was just going to say, we're going to bring Rachel in in a moment, but uh, I'm just going to say to you, Lewis, you were saying about it all got messy towards it. What, what, what became messy about it? What was the issue? Well, this is the hard thing. It's, it concerns someone else who I don't want to divulge what really happened there. Basically, there was an attempt by someone to close it um, and go back to that, and then actually going from a an open relationship back to a closed relationship proved a bit too much for for one person involved. Right. No. Yeah. I can. I can understand that. I can understand that. We. Can, I think we can read. We can read between the lines. I think. Uh, let's. So let's see if we can speak to Rachel Krantz, who's a a journalist and writer, author, and has just written a book called Open. Nice to talk to you, Rachel. Um, tell us a bit about this book. Where did the idea come from and what have you had to endure <laughs> to, to come up with this book? Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I started working on the book partially as a coping mechanism. I fell into my first open relationship, which was also my first um, dom-sub relationship, and 
unfortunately, a lot of it was very under or uncommunicated. And as we opened up and I began experiencing a lot of jealousy, um, I started writing some articles at Bustle where I used to work and sometimes edit <laughs> Nietzsche actually. And, um, and an agent approached me and said, you should write a book about this. And I was like, I'm not ready to write a book about anything. But she said, you know, well, just keep taking notes, like keep track of what's happening. And I was keeping a journal anyway. And so I sort of started to take the idea that this could one day be a book more seriously. And it became a way, especially as the relationship, as you see throughout the book, becomes characterized by more and more gaslighting. And I basically reached a point where I lost all trust in my own sense of judgment or reality, that it was a way of trying to hold on to some sort of idea of what was true, to just record what was happening, because I felt myself opening up in all these wonderful ways and having this big adventure, but also kind of sinking. And so, yeah, the idea of a book one day became a light at the end of the tunnel. What had your notion of an open relationship what was it? What was your, you know, years back when you were thinking if people talked about having open relationships before you even embarked on one, what did you think it was? And did you have an internal prejudice against it? How did you feel about the notion of open relationships? I was always interested in the concept. I was very much a serial monogamist and also a repressed bisexual. You know, I'd been trying to date women to very middling success um, on my, you know, the dating apps, I would say, I'm bisexual, I'm heteroflexible, I'm, I'm, I tried like all the labels, queer, I'm, I even tried straight and all of them, you know, I just felt imposter syndrome, no matter what label I used. And uh, it was always much easier to let men come to me and women didn't seem interested when I reached out, probably because of maybe my track record <laughs> and um, reading as straight it kind of, I had a few experiences, but that was it. So that was one reason why non-monogamy was interesting to me because I realized like, I don't really want to have to choose and I don't think I ever will. Um, but I keep seeming to fall into relationships more often with cis men. So perhaps this would give me some sort of foundation to explore from, which ended up being true. I'd also read Sex at Dawn and I felt very compelled by its central argument. I just had no idea how to proceed. The idea made me very nervous. So when I met Adam, um, the man who you meet at the beginning of the book, who's the sort of central relationship, and he was much older than me, had experience with non-monogamy, he kind of very much pitched it as like, this is about your freedom. I just don't want to restrict someone in that way. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I'll try. Maybe this is my chance to see if I can be in relationship in a different way. Rachel, how do you feel that your bisexuality intersected with the non-monogamy and made it easier or more difficult? Yeah, well, so one way was that it allowed me um, to enter more lifestyle spaces where it was easier to kind of gain experience physically with women because it was so, um, I guess, encouraged partially for the male gaze, but partially they're just very fluid spaces, uh, very heteronormative though, ironically in some ways where you barely ever saw men playing with other men, but almost all the women in these lifestyle spaces play with other women. And so that was a place where I began to 
be able to gain a little bit of confidence so that by the time I um, met someone who was also bisexual, actually through having dated the same man, um, I felt a little more comfortable in my queerness. I felt a little bit less inexperienced, though I was technically still a virgin. Um, and I think that just I had opened so much by that point, a couple years in by the time I met her, that I just felt, I felt like, okay, I've explored, you know, MFM threesomes, I've gone to sex parties, I've, I've explored dating on my own non-monogamously, so it felt less scary um, to, to go there. Um, and so for me, it was very much related. And then after I had that experience with her, and it was so meaningful and affirming, I realized, oh, wow, I'm probably, I don't know if this way of practicing non-monogamy that I'm doing right now is always going to be right for me, but I think I'm going to always need to have the freedom to be non-monogamous in some way because I don't want to have to choose. Mm. And do you think, I mean, did you in your head or an, on any kind of cellular level when you were younger think, well, I'm definitely bisexual, maybe not. that's not the word you were using. Is that something that came first before thinking about the non-monogamy or were they kind of very entwined? Um, I would say thinking about being bisexual definitely came first, but it was very, you know, I write about in the book how I was almost kind of like gaslighting myself a lot of the time because I would just kind of say, oh, well, this is probably just what happens when you're raised in the Bay Area by a bunch of liberals. Like you think there's something wrong with you if you're not queer. You know, I was very lucky that I grew up with friends with lesbian moms and I just, it was very much around. Non-monogamy was not around, um, but, you know, people being gay was, and that said, I didn't know any out bisexuals and I knew that it was a thing and I knew I had these feelings, but I also felt like I began, especially, you know, by college when the feelings were getting even stronger, I was also absorbing some of the narrative of these studies that have come out of like, well, but women are just more fluid and we're kind of, what arouses us is the idea of being desired or, um, you know, imagining ourselves in novel situations, which can all be true, but I sort of would talk to myself and be like, well, yeah, but then why do you, you know, maybe that's all it is and you just are kind of promiscuous and you just like, as if it has to be either or, right? Um, and I also have always had my closest friends have always been, um, queer women or, uh, you know, who some of them later came out as actually being trans men, but I would hear a lot throughout our twenties of like their frustrations with bisexual women who they felt were, you know, quote unquote, just experimenting on them. Um, going through a phase and then would drop them for men. And so I kind of felt like, oh, no, I'm afraid. What if that's me? Because it it often felt much easier to compartmentalize my feelings for women than for men. So I felt like maybe I'm just kind of ex experimental and like I should just, you know, it's not as strong or it's not even. The word sounded like it has to be even. And so I'll just kind of if it happens, it happens, but I'll keep pushing it down. It doesn't seem to be working it out. And I don't want to be screwing with anyone's feelings. It's so interesting here you say that 
even in the Bay Area, you felt that there weren't really any bisexual, out bisexuals. Because obviously we met on the internet when I worked for Bustle and I was living in the Bay Area. And that was my great bi awakening because I went to Pride for the first time in San Francisco and then I met a bunch of people and then it all started to come together for me. But up until that point, again, it was still quite hidden. Even if you go out on the streets of San Francisco, you go to the Castro, there aren't, you can't recognise that there are bi people walking around, can you? Right. And I mean, I think Jen Winston's new book, Greedy, is really excellent in talking about this, of how, you know, to be bisexual is to be told, like, you both, I guess, don't exist and also want too much at the same time, you know? So it's this real, and I think that's part of why you see higher rates of sexual assault, mental illness, eating disorders, substance abuse, among bisexuals, bisexual women in particular. And that was something I didn't know until I started researching this book and was shocked at how closely my own experiences mimicked that. You know, the first time I was really physically sexually violated was a week after I lost my virginity with a woman and it wasn't by her. And just how immediately I sort of rationalized in my head of, well, what did you expect? You know, you're, you're, sleeping with everyone, you're kinky, you're non-monogamous, you're bisexual, like you're a greedy slut. Like that even though I was in this open relationship, there was still this voice in my head kind of being like, this is just what happens to women who are sexually adventurous. You're going to have some of the shit sometimes. And I think that there's a lot of fear of saying, (laughs) you know, like we don't want to confirm stereotypes of like bisexual people are more um adventurous or they're confused and so that's why but it's like I think that there is potentially a certain openness that can lead you to be in sometimes riskier situations that sure that can be part of it in my case but I also think it's this sort of the mental effects of kind of it being so easy to hide within straightness and you're just denying this piece of yourself to yourself and being told by other people, gay or straight, that it's not real or it's not enough or it's not valid, that it makes a lot of sense that there would be these higher rates and that also people in both communities would potentially take advantage because they see you as more loose or down for anything and and, and they assume they can sort of uh, push boundaries in a way that's not okay. I think also that bisexuality, despite its term sounding very binary, you know, in the way I've learned since what it actually means, like it's incredibly non-binary. It really means more like what people say when they say like pansexual, right? So I think for that reason too, much like non-monogamy, bisexuality challenges binaries. And that's part of what's threatening to people as well. And, and perhaps is related to the higher rates of mental illness or eating disorders or substance abuse, these other issues, because you're really, you're not fitting in a clear box. Lewis, do you want to come in, ask some questions? Yeah, I mean, well, we were just kind of talking before the interview around how bisexuals in a lot of situations are freestyling because we don't have a lot of other bi people to draw on their experience usually. And the same with non-monogamy. It's kind of like... Um, you don't really have that many people that have tried it before that you can kind of compare their their advice. So I guess 
have you met any bisexuals along the way that have given you any really good advice that helped with your journey and the same on, on the open uh, relationship front? Well, I think the most meaningful has actually been towards the end of this journey with um, Jen Winston, who I mentioned, really forming a friendship with her and having a real long conversation. I realized that even after writing this book, detailing my sexual and romantic experiences with women and knowing in myself that now I'm also attracted to non-binary and trans people, I was still feeling so much discomfort using the label until I talked to her and so much imposter syndrome still. And it was, I think that um, in coming out in such a dramatic way in print, I thought I had sort of moved past that, but it wasn't until I really started talking to her that I realized oh, I don't really actually understand what bisexual means or the history behind the word and the movement. Um, And so that's been a really helpful touch point for me. In terms of with non-monogamy, Kathy Labriola, who features in the book a lot as my counselor and who's also an expert, um, who's written books like Love in Abundance and the Jealousy Workbook that are excellent, she continues to be sort of my touchstone for navigating living a different kind of life and kind of a really, uh, you know, I call her my, I guess my fairy, fairy godmother, my real life fairy godmother, because she's just this badass bisexual Berkeley woman who has two long-term partners and has been doing this for decades and is kind of like my person who I can just call and hear like, no, you're not crazy for wanting something different than the script. Like there are ways to do this, but it's so hard to figure it out and, and navigate it because the the counter narrative is so strong of what you're supposed to feel like you have to do. So the, those are two people who've been very important for me. Something which always has come up with for me when I've navigated the whole idea of non-monogamy has always been the issue of um, love versus sex. You know, the notion of having a relationship with somebody um, and they're 100%, that's the most important person in your life, all the rest of it. And then the notion of having just having having sex with other people and that not being a big deal. So it's basically the difference between love and sex, I suppose, in, in a sense. Obviously, there are other people who are out there who are having multiple relationships which involve love and sex together. together. Um, I'm sure as you've done this book, obviously lots of serious things have come up, but I'm sure as you've done this, there must be quite a lot of funny things that have happened or strange oh, things have happened, things that you've come across oh, along, maybe along those lines, you know, of, of trying to differentiate between all these things. Tell us a, bit, a bit about that. I mean, it, it must have been quite a journey. Yes, there's been a lot of funny adventures. A lot of them are sort of, uh, you know, I think will be just funny for readers to kind of learn from my mistakes or my misadventures, you know. But there was just... So much in the book that I hope is very funny and also kind of uh, sexy for sure. Um, I think that another thing that's funny is um, there's kind of a central character who it's I have. uh, Well, it's revealed that surprisingly, well, I don't want to spoil it. But there's some surprising things related to his proclivities um, that also related to bisexuality that I think will be quite amusing for people to read. And that was one thing I was also going to mention is that once I came out as non-monogamous, so many more men started revealing also that they were bisexual to me or had 
curiosity as if they now also had permission to be somehow quote unquote sexually deviant because I was too. And, you know, I think that before this experience, I was, I was contributing to biphobia with often on dating apps, being one of the women who, who wouldn't, you know, swipe right on bi men, making assumptions that it meant they were somehow, whatever these stereotypes are, would leave me for a man or we're going to be less masculine or all these other harmful things. And, and once I started having actual intimate experiences with these men, I realized that they, they were often the ones I was most attracted to. And if anything, my stereotype was quite opposite. Not that there's anything wrong with being feminine at all, but these were some of the, the more kind of traditionally, um, <laughs> like you would net quote unquote, you would never guess or very like kind of reading very, um, straight, cis normative kind of dudes and it was almost kind of like a a very sexy realization to have that oh this could be very attractive and it's just because I've been socialized to think you know because of a homophobic society that allows women some of this freedom certainly a lot more than men this idea that I absorbed growing up of like oh it might be hot to men to watch me with another woman, you know, there's certainly a lot more permissiveness of it that I think you see play out in those lifestyle scenes. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't until I began exploring that I realized, oh yeah, bisexual men are great. So that's one thing I, I definitely try to have come through in the book. Um, and that I'm hoping a lot of women who are interested in men and who maybe have some of that internalized homophobia and biphobia read it and say like, oh, I'm getting turned on imagining this guy with another guy too, um, or a threesome or, or whatever. I could imagine myself with this guy either way and, and doesn't mean anything bad. That's interesting. That's interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, we're always, Lewis and I are always trying to fly, fly the flag for, for, for bisexual men, obviously. And it, and it is true that the, the idea of women together gets far more traction than two men together. But it, it, there are women out there that do like it and enjoy it. And, you know, it's just not talked about, really. But just going back to that last uh, supplementary question, the whole issue of love versus sex, as did that come up quite a bit in terms of your... You know, was that something, was that constantly a challenge on the non-monogamy side of things? Yeah, um, I mean, I think I explore in the book different ways that people are non-monogamous and there's definitely different cultures. So around like swingers, for example, they tend to keep that separation there much more. They have, you'll hear them say all the time, it's just sex, you know, or they only do things together or they limit outside communication with a partner, keep it all to group text. The idea is like, often there's only kind of one relationship and the rest is all kind of in service of strengthening and keeping alive that central relationship. Whereas polyamorous people believe, yeah, you can, you can love multiple people and you want to have those different relationships. I think that I saw merits to, and downsides to all of these forms and you kind of see me exploring all of them. Um, I think for me personally, it's very difficult. Well, sometimes I can separate love from sex for sure and definitely have enjoyed just more casual things and have felt friendship and sex be much more fluid than ever before in a way that's really fun. Um, but I also find that 
for me, the things that hold my interest longer, it's usually feelings need to be involved. And I've definitely learned that there's many different kinds of ways to love, you know, that we're taught love and partnered long-term commitment are the same thing or love and monogamy are the same thing or emotional intimacy and partnered commitment are the same thing and that's not true either you can have you can be committed to someone in a long-term partnership and have very little emotional intimacy unfortunately you can be with someone who you only see once a month and it's incredibly intimate and maybe you have no expectations that they're going to share a future with you um, or, you know, have children together, any of these more traditional markers. So I think exploring all these things made me see how both these things can be very, very fluid um, and that's okay. (laughs) And also there's just a lot of shades of gray. Like there's a lot of things in between total monogamy and total, you know, polyamory where it's like you have four partners and all of them are have to be equal. Like there's people doing all kinds of stuff in between. Well, there's also the, the notion of affection as well, isn't there? You might have friends, for example, who you're very, very affectionate with. Almost the point of having sex with them, but it never happens. It's just literally an affection. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of there's varying degrees, isn't there, people's people's relationships. Um Rachel, it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. How can we how can people get the book? Yes, thank you. Um, They can buy it wherever books are sold. Um, There's a UK version coming out January 26th. Um, And yeah, you can buy it online. Just Google open and uncensored memoir of love, liberation and non-monogamy. There's also um, an audible Kindle version, which is fun, read by me. Um, So yeah, and you can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Rachel Krantz to keep up with whatever I'm I'm up to in the dialogue that I hope the book will help continue. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us for, on Bisexual Brunch today. That's great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having me. So now having listened to that conversation with somebody who's done quite a lot of research on this and has gone through the whole process herself, has it changed our, our views and our opinions on the whole issue of... Uh, of, of non-monogamy I, I i just every time i listen to it i think to myself god you know when people talking about non-monogamy i think this gets this could get so complicated and complex i don't know if i don't know if i've got the emotional strength to actually cope with it <laughs> Nick, nikki have you have you been in open relationships in the yeah past? well funnily enough when i was in the bay area and rachel was my editor and i was writing for bustle um it was quite it was a new relationship and as Rachel put in her interview, because we had communication problems, we couldn't get the non-monogamy bit right. So it's very hard to separate out what was just the relationship failing and what was the non-monogamy bit not going well. And I think that you've got to be rock solid to be to be able to be non-monogamous in a good way. And I think, you know, as Rachel pointed out in that interview, we just don't have enough conversation. We don't have enough textbooks. You know, she talked about having basically a coach, stroke therapist, It's very hard to find those people to help you guide through. There's certainly no mainstream conversation about how you deal with non-monogamy. Like, you know, you get an article about 10 ways to know if you're ready to dump him. You wouldn't get 10 ways to know if you're ready to shag the other one. You know, you just just wouldn't get that, would you? But I feel that's coming. I feel it's coming. In the next few years, I feel that. I feel like younger people than us, like I always say, because I'm an old bitch, younger people than us are getting ready to, if if the information isn't there, they're going to seek it out. You know, if the tactics aren't there, they're going to formulate them. So I feel like we're on the periphery of a big social change. Yeah, I think my concern is just that whole thing of, uh, 
navigating people's feelings really because because there isn't anything out there to say that this is how, this is the way. It, well, I mean, there's never any complete way that some, something should be done, and we we don't want textbooks really, do we? To be honest, we want people to follow their feelings in a way. But what I'm saying is, you know, something that looks at the the positives and the pitfalls and the how things could work. You know, because none of that is really there. My concern is that a lot of people may end up hurting themselves and hurting others just because they don't really know where to go with it you know what I mean and and I think the media as well can as we know can can sort of caricature characterize things can't they as, as being oh that's bad people shouldn't be doing that or whatever and I think we've got to that's the worry that we'll end up in those situations Lewis any more thoughts from you on uh, on this issue I mean I I've all, I was already all for it but I think as we we've, we've kind of said like it's complicated it's not going to happen overnight. I think as well, I, I just think people these days, that they have such wild different standards, like just with everything. So some people could think like you, like being alone with someone and talking to them is cheating. Whereas, you know, other people are like, no, 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 I need to be inside them. And then that's cheating. So I think it's just... <laughs> to put like... not too fine a point on it. Lewis, I do so love, it. I do like love it when you come scale. out of these little... Lewis has got more and more and more graphic it in the last few episodes, hasn't he? In the past few episodes, yeah. yeah, yeah but I, mean, it, I understand what he's saying, so it's fine. I'm bringing it's it in 2022, what can I say? No, I think I think you're right. I think it's just that issue of... of um, of just people feel just people's feelings and also the other thing is that um you know i do worry a little bit about the fact that people i don't know there's a whole there's a load of issues these days around what what people can and cannot do what people should and shouldn't do what you're allowed to do the whole issue of flirting in public all these kind of things and that worries me as well a little bit because I think there are some people and certainly in all the cultures and I've just been watching a dating show we'll be talking about dating in a moment and you know ask a bisexual thing but um, there's a new dating show that's just started on Channel 4 about um, Spa- Spaniards and, and Brits uh, dating but not knowing uh, each language. Each oh yeah. my goodness! And, and the Spanish Spanish are very very touchy feeling, which yeah. the English aren't in the same way. You know what I mean? I have no problem with that. I'm mean, from an Irish background, and I find that Irish people are more touchy. They are. It does not bother me at all. But I know there are people out there who are horrified by it. Do you know what I mean? So it's where we go with this kind. It's having that discussion and and sort of people knowing where the boundaries are. It's it's, it's very hard, and you know. I, but I don't, I, I don't want to go to, go so far as having a textbook on it. You know what I mean? A do, well, do and don't think that would really irritate me. I the think. thing is, there are already textbooks out there. Yeah. And they're all kind of Bay, you know, Rachel's from the Bay Area in San Francisco, um, Northern California. There, there is a, there is a book called The Ethical Whore, I believe, which is okay. all about how to be non-monogamous, and it's a bible. I mean, it's like it's been around since the seventies. It's really, really important to people. And I've read it, you know, for research, for understanding, obviously. There are lots of younger people who are coming up with coming up with rules around how you treat each other. Obviously, the dating app that I work for, Field, we do so much about how to treat each other on the app if you're going to be non-monogamous and how to negotiate difficult conversations. The issue of compersion, do you know what that word is, Ash? I think we've no, talked about it before. So compersion is where you feel happiness for your partner being with another partner. And that's the kind of whole avenue of getting your head around ethical non-monogamy or polyamory. So, you know, it's like people are, people are definitely making inroads, but none of it is still culturally mainstream. But like I say, I just think it's a generational thing. I mean, I think if you go on TikTok and you go, you look up hashtags like non-monogamy, polyamory, there's a lot of content. So people are definitely talking about it. 
just not in the most mainstream of spaces yet. Yeah, I think it's the, it's the way the mainstream catches up with that is the issue, isn't it? Yeah. And, and how the mainstream ends up, um, you know, characterising it or caricaturing it. And that's the slight concern. But who knows? Who knows? We might. We're, we're leading the way on bisexual brunch, as always. Um, <laughs> so so uh, we're going to pause and have our bisexual journey story uh, for this time. And that is with Bridget Frame from Michigan, who's only recently come out as bi to a straight male partner. Uh, we'll be hearing from Bridget in a few moments' time. And a little bit later on, we've got our Ask a Bisexual question. And this time, it's all about bisexual dating. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Now just a word on what's coming soon to both Bisexual Brunch and to our sister platform, Distinct Nostalgia. We'll be remembering the groundbreaking British film Sunday Bloody Sunday from 1971. Nominated for eight Oscars and winning five of them, it starred legendary British actors Peter Finch and Glenda Jackson. Their focus, a sexy bisexual man who they shared. It was the first major feature film to tackle bisexuality. And we'll be talking candidly to Murray Head, who made history by playing Bob. I'm somewhere in the background. You've got the two of them face to face, of Glenda and Peter. And I felt out of focus nearly all the way through the film. It was like all the attention had to be on their compromises, their sacrifices, not the young man who can do what he likes, you know. And... About a third of the way through the film, I broke down. I said to John, what the fuck do they see? Why do they put up with this, with this little tit who just, you know, wanders around, does what he wants, goes to one when he feels like, goes to another when he gets bored. What is it? I mean, what do they see in him? She said, sex, dear. And I, I found myself saying, you know, what? That's all very well. Sex does a lot, mate. But, you know, I hadn't found ultimate sex by that time in my life. I was quite young, you know. So, you know, there was no way I could understand that. So that's In Conversation with Murray Head, coming soon exclusively on Bisexual Brunch. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. And now it's time for our bisexual journey story for this episode of Bisexual Brunch. And it's from Bridget Frame in Michigan in the United States. Now, just to let you know that uh, this was recorded via Zoom on a very busy Saturday uh, for me. Um, and unfortunately, um, we had some problems with my side of the recording. The wonders of Zoom aren't always great when it comes to sound quality. Um, so unfortunately, um, I'm a little bit hit and miss here and there, but I think uh, it, it probably uh, carries and you can work out what I'm saying most of the time. Anyway, the focus, of course, is on Bridget. And I began by putting to her, well, as she beamed out of the screen at me, um, whether or not the fact that she got purple hair had something to do possibly with being bisexual. It actually does. I actually had my hair uh, in the bi colors uh, a bit ago, but it was one of the ways that I could um, kind of visually have other people clock me because I'm in a straight presenting relationship. So uh, for me, it's very personal and very tied into my bisexuality. 
Yeah, no, that's important, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really important. That's one of the things that we constantly get people saying, why do they want to talk? Why do they want to keep talking about their sexuality all the time? But if you don't say it, nobody knows, do they? That's the point. Yeah, they don't. I mean, I've got, I live in the suburbs. I've got this house and a husband and two kids. I, I mean, I'm the picture of an American suburban mother, except for my crazy purple hair. <laughs> well, let- well, let's start there. You just mentioned that you've got a husband, you've got kids and all the rest yeah. of it. What's the situation at home? Do they do they know about it? Do they know about you being bisexual? Yeah, my husband does. And we're actually in a very unique situation because we live in a multi-generational home. So uh, my father passed away three years ago. So we asked my mother to move in with us uh, so she could have company and family around. Uh, and then in addition to that, my in-laws also live with us. So, um, my husband knows, uh, my mother knows, my in-laws do not. So, um, so, so, so you've got, in a way, you're sort of, I mean, a lot of bisexual people um, are used to living sort of, you know, double lives in a way. You're, you've got to lead a double life in the, in the same home. Yes, yes. Um, so that's a bit of a challenge. I think they suspect, but I haven't said anything outright. Um, I'm not subtle about it at home, I, I should say. I don't outright say it, but I fly the bi flag during September, which is by visibility month. I fly the pride flag. I participate. I, I have this uh, support group that I'm a part of. So, I mean, I haven't outright said it to them, but I think they know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and do you think and do you think I mean I don't know what Michigan's like but do you think do you think they'd have a fairly if they did know do you think they'd be fairly liberal about it or what's your what's your suspicion no I, I don't think they would be um based on their age um so the time that they grew up in in the United States and they grew up in a much more rural area um with much more conservative viewpoints um and so I think it would be rather difficult for them I think they would worry uh for my husband um because I think that they would have a lot of that it kind of ingrained biphobia. Um, there's not a lot of information for them. There wasn't for me even. Um, and so I try to give them some grace with that um, and, and understand that it would be very difficult for them. When did you tell your husband and how was that? How did that work out? I told him last year. <laughs> um, and I, I, again, it was kind of like this open secret, like, I would joke about it and he'd be like, well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like he knew before I did. Um, and, and he was wonderful and supportive and just, you know, he, he's actually the one who bought me my first flag. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's been wonderful and, and encouraging and in our own relationship, trying to queer it, like queer our relationship together. So sometimes um that is support um and other times it's quite sexy you know he'll talk about her when we're when we're messing around together and but it's not for him it's not a fetish thing it's for me because he likes to see me happy and so that's been really um lovely and he did that all on his own um without any prompting so he's been he's been really wonderful (laughs) um you know watches the kids when I'm out at the support group and all of that and and just uh, it's it's been great so he's wonderful um but it has been a little difficult too at some times with him and I um just because I think that in addition to finding out that I'm a, I'm bisexual is I, I think I'm also poly um and he's monogamous so <laughs> um so we're trying to navigate that right now but um 
for, for the most part, it's really just been a beautiful thing and supportive with him. And that's more than I thought. I mean, just growing up when I did, I just had all these terrible thoughts about what it was going to be like to say it out loud, especially we've been married for 10 years. Um, we've known each other for 15 and, um, we just kind of, I was like, oh my God, what if, what if this is bad? What if, what if, what if, right? And it turned out to be a really good experience. So I felt really lucky because I know that's not always the case for people. I suppose the most important thing at the end of the day when it comes to both the bisexuality and I suppose the poly side of things really is, is that openness, isn't it? That trust that you have. And if he, if he's confident that, you know, you're in a relationship with him and, you know, whatever happens, whether the poly or the bi or whatever, you know, you've still got a commitment to him in some way, shape or form. And I suppose that is what matters, really. Do you yes. think you managed to convince him of that? <laughs> I think I could. Um, I think that's going to take some time. Um, but, but I think I could because we've we've discussed um, the possibility of, of threesomes together. Um, and that he would be open to that um, for me. Um, and I, and I quickly said to him, well, I said, well, that's okay, but you have to also be open to it for yourself because you have to enjoy it or I'm not going to have a good time. <laughs> um, so like, we have to be in that together. And so we've talked about it. It needs to be revisited, but I, I think that we can come to an understanding, um, and, and a good and healthy one that has communication. And we're just working on that right now. Cause it's still super new. Yeah, no, I understand that. Is, so in terms of him and his sexuality, is he completely straight or? Oh my gosh, yes. He is a cis-het white man. <laughs> he, he is the epitome of an American jock. He was in a fraternity. He's six foot three. And, you know, I mean, he's hyper-masculine. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's not queer whatsoever, except that he's dating, you know, married to a bisexual <laughs> poor guy no he's he's great he's he's open-minded himself so that's wonderful but yeah he's he's a cis hat white guy <laughs> and do you know do you know together both of you do you know any other um bisexual people within your v v vicinity or have you got any bisexual friends or anything i mean obviously people get to know people by the internet but i mean in real life you know something i do um he does not um, I'm working on introducing him to some of my uh, queer friends. He knows um, a, lo a lot of some of our mutual friends are gay or lesbian um, or trans, but they're not bi. Um, and part of that, I think, is just people aren't saying. Um, but some of my friends that I've met through the support group have become very, very close. And so I'm working on integrating them into our like shared friendships and not just um, my friendships. Um, and I think that also would help him with trust. Um, and just like, not that he sees them as a threat per se, but just that like in our other conversations, like see, here's an example, like this doesn't like any, there's no hypersexuality here, I guess. Um, now I am a hypersexual person, but like you can trust me when I say that this isn't, it isn't. And when I say it is, it is. Um, and I think it will help him also see how varied it is, bisexuality, how different um, it, it is for everybody. Um, and so that can help him too, just get more experience with it. Because, I mean, we're just surrounded by straight people. <laughs> 
and um and and uh, I have been working on making space for more queer experiences in my life, and I think that it will help if he can come along on that journey too. What what's the scene the, the scene around LGBT like in Michigan? I mean, you know, are there places to go? You know, what what's what would it be like for somebody? I mean, I know you're so December, but say somebody who's in their teens or 20s or whatever now trying to find their way. I mean, <sighs> obviously, we, we know being bisexual is, is, is a, there's an issue there because it's very difficult to be open. But if you just generally in the LGBT world, are there places to go and things like that? There are. There are, there are havens. Um, it's a little different than when I was younger. When I was younger, it was much more difficult. Um, but now, if someone were to be a teenager, um, Kalamazoo, where I live, um, is pretty open. Uh, there's an out front Kalamazoo, uh, which is an LBGTQ plus um, organization that, that helps and, and has support groups and visibility and protests and uh, good programming for youth and all of that. Um, and there's a queer club you can go to and dance and just be with community. Um, there's a pretty strong liberal presence in Kalamazoo. There's three universities here so that helps um you could go to detroit uh or uh ann arbor um and in some of the more rural places michigan is a very rural state um there's not a lot uh going on <laughs> so you could get to chicago easy from kalamazoo you could get to detroit easy it's two hours either way but for most lbgtq plus um youth you're gonna have to travel which is difficult at that age um but society itself in Michigan is starting to be a lot different than when I was a kid. Um, so it's a little bit more accepting, but on the west side of the state where I live, um, there's a strong conservative background um, in terms of ethnicity and religions and stuff like that. So um, that makes it a little difficult um, because that's generational and so ingrained. Um, so that's kind of a bummer, but but there are places you can go um, and and community that is visible. But it's still in rural America. You you got to get to the cities. We, we've talked about your situation now. We'll return to that. But let's go back then. You know, where did I mean bring the poly in as well if you can do? But you know, on the bisexuality in particular, where 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 did it start? Obviously, it started you, you when you were born. You were born bisexual. But what I mean is, when did you realize? And, and uh, yeah, tell us about your journey. What's yeah, that's a loaded, that's a loaded now. question because I didn't say the word bisexual about myself until last year out loud. Um, I, I think I've always known. So I can remember being a, a young person. Um, like I said, I'm 37. So that gives you an idea. I was growing up kind of in the 90s. And um, I remember watching the X-Files and seeing David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson and thinking, they're both hot. I want to be in between that. <laughs> and of course, as a young person, you don't have the words for that. But like looking back, that's what it was. I had a major crush on both of them. And that kind of continued throughout my life. Like I'd be like, oh yeah, I really admire that person or I really think they're attractive or, but it was usually um, female presenting and male presenting together and kind of being like, oh yeah, that, whoa. And then- <laughs> Then I saw the Rocking Horror Picture Show as a very young person, too young to be seeing it, honestly. Um, <laughs> but I saw that and I was just like, whoa, this is so hot. 
everything about this is hot. Like there's men dressing like women and there's women dressing like men and everything in between. And, and they're all touching each other and having a good time. And I was like, yes, it's, I was, but I didn't know what that meant because growing up when I did in the United States, there wasn't any kind of bi visibility. You were either gay or a lesbian or you were straight. And so I didn't have any kind of context for what those feelings meant um, other than it wasn't straight and it was sexy and it was naughty and I liked it. And I, you know, I just, that was kind of the theme of my whole child, my childhood and my youth and even into my college years where I was like, wow, that's really, oh. Um, so that was kind of the beginning where I was like, oh, both masculine and feminine and everything in between is really attractive to me. Um, and then things started getting more um, visible for gay men and lesbians in the United States. You know, Ellen came out on, on TV and there was Will and Grace. And as problematic as all that stuff is now, at the time, it was so revolutionary. I'd never seen anything like it. And I thought, I was just so drawn to it but for me it felt like being an ally because there wasn't there still wasn't a space for me and so um a lot of my friends were gay a lot of my friends were lesbians um in high school and so I ended up being the vice president of our gay straight alliance and we were raging protests I mean this is in rural Michigan I grew up in Greenville Michigan and this poor town had no idea what hit them. Uh, we were the first people to say these things out loud. And I mean, my friend had been followed home by the football team and beaten for being gay. And so it was very dangerous what we were doing and we got a lot of flack for it. And, but we did it because we felt it was important. And I remember being like, oh my God, we'll never, maybe, maybe not in our lifetime, but maybe our children's lifetime we'll be able to get married. And then here I were a few years ago and the Supreme Court comes down and it was just like such an amazing moment because we were like, oh my God, we were fighting for that. Like, and we never thought we'd see it. It was just the amount of change that has happened in my own lifetime is crazy. And so I kind of, to circle back, grew up in a desert of queer culture. And um, I remember going off to college and having relationships with women. And oftentimes what happens with queer people in the United States, I'm sure this is elsewhere too, is you end up having kind of a mentor uh, for your first relationships, you know, because you have no idea. And especially someone, I moved to New Orleans, by the way, I went to school in New Orleans. And so uh, there was a lot of experiences there that I didn't have living in nowhere, Michigan. <laughs> and um, part of that was getting to know women sexually and romantically. And um, that was so amazing for me and I had someone take me under their wing and teach me how to love women um which was amazing and wonderful and so then I came back to Michigan thinking well maybe I'm a lesbian <laughs> but I like guys <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that I had no no idea what that meant and I remember having this major breakdown on uh, my roommate's sofa um because I was just crumbling under that pressure um, of having to choose because I just felt not gay enough and not straight enough, but I felt like society needed me to choose. 
that there was a requirement to choose. And I remember just sobbing and sobbing and she's holding me. And I said, I just, no matter what I choose, it's going to be wrong because it won't be right. It won't be all of it. Um, Do I be a lesbian and invite all of that horror and fear and danger into my life? Am I brave enough for that? Or do I just say, take the easy way and be straight? Um, And I just didn't know what to do. It strikes me that, I mean, with everybody who is is bisexual, you know, we've all had this situation where we've not been able to be our true selves for literally Mm -hmm. decades. Yes. Um, And that must have an effect on people. I mean, looking back now, what impact do you think it's had on you? I mean, obviously you're in a situation now whereby, you've, you know, you, 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 you're, I mean, it's not perfect, but you've certainly got a partner who's more understanding, all the rest of it. So you've come on a journey and you've got to a, a good point where you are, but you're 37. I mean, it would have been nice to have been do, dealing with this when you were in your early 20s, didn't it? Yeah. What impact um, do you think it's had on you in that sense? It's been horrible, quite frankly. Um, I've been in therapy. <laughs> Um, because it made me small. It it erased everything that was lovely and joyous and beautiful about me. Um, I made my voice small. Um, I was a very outgoing person. Um, it made me second guess everything. I mean, the anxiety is through the roof. Um, I'm on medication and therapy for that as well. Um, because again, it just felt like everything every choice I made was going to be wrong in this department. And turns out that's true because I thought that, oh, I met, I met someone I'm in love with. It doesn't matter. I can just be straight. Nope. Um, (laughs) It doesn't work like that. It's just simmering and, and festering under the surface until you can't handle it anymore because you just realize your entire self has just been erased, just gone. And you look in the mirror and you go, I don't even know you you aren't me. And where is that joy? I was so miserable. And I didn't really know it because I had this lovely family and, and um, I had this beautiful life and a life that I wanted very much. But when I did finally come out um, to myself, because I had to do that first, I had to say it, I had to say, I am a bisexual person. Um, that was very hard to do, uh, surprisingly. And it, um, but what I had to do first um, was accept that there is this dual emotion going on, this theme in my life, this duality, um, that while I love my life and would have chosen these things, there is an immense mourning and sadness and loss for the person that I could have been and should have been allowed to be. And this intense anger that there was all this pressure because in addition to society, I had religious trauma on top of that. I was raised Roman Catholic, which you just can't be a woman or queer um, at all. Um, So I had to leave that and all of that residual uh, hate, self-hate, all of that you have to kind of grapple with and, and, and be angry about. And um, so there's this mourning for this experience and, and true self that you could have been. And what would your life look to, looked like if you had been able to do that? 
um, what are these hardships that you have now that you wouldn't have had to endure? Um, this anger that society did this to you and that you allowed it to happen too, because some of that is personal denial and shoving it down and, and internalized biphobia um, and, and grappling with that. And then also this, this intense love for where you're at and not wanting to damage that. But realizing too, for my own self, that that fear can't justify the hurt that I'm experiencing daily, like that, that misery of not being my true self and realizing that you have to rock that you have to, you have to break that apart and, um, put it back together better, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a wonderful partner. Um, not that it hasn't been difficult cause it is. Um, but that there was space allowed for that. And, and then some of that stuff, I still haven't you know, been able to work through yet. I mean, it's just, God, if, you know, it, it, my life would have been totally different. And now here I am almost experiencing the second adolescence because I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. feminine, yeah. Yeah. woo, you that, know? That's, and, that, and that can cause lots, I mean, for you, you're in a relatively stable situation, I'm sure, but for a lot of people that can cause lots of issues, can't it? Because it they suddenly turn into teenagers again. Yes. Act like, oh, act oh, like yes. teenagers in their 40s and 50s, and the, the consequences can be horrendous sometimes. Yes, what, do you, it, what, what do you think about the fact that you've obviously got to navigate all those issues of, of, of prejudice and bi-erasure, people not understanding all of it, um, and the religious side, and being in that part of America and all that stuff. But equally, sadly, we also have an LGBT world on the gay and lesbian side that doesn't also always understand not not everybody i mean i've got a partner who understands very much but you know the, the gay world doesn't always get bisexuality either does it and that's a no, problem isn't it? it it is it was a huge problem so and i actually have a really good example of this so um we're i'm a part of another uh women's queer group uh that is affiliated with one of our organizations here in kalamazoo and uh we were on a message board and we were talking about safe spaces and all of that and support groups. And this is in the middle of the pandemic. And so we're just trying to create community somehow. Right. Um, and another member had mentioned that we had, they had been looking for bi specific support groups because bisexuality is so complex and just very different from a straight exam, uh, experience or, or a gay experience or a trans experience, which they're all different and they're all beautiful. But sometimes there are specific challenges that come with being bisexual that you just need another person who has been in that place to understand it. And we got some serious flack from, from a lesbian member um and just why would you even need that and there's already spaces for this and well if you get that how where's the lesbian like support group y'all think you're so special you know like it was very bad I can't even I, some of the things that were said were incredibly hurtful like we didn't even belong there didn't need it like why you whining um and it was shocking because it was the first experience I had had from the queer community of not being accepted and I thought oh y'all know what it's like. What the heck? Um, and it was just case in point. Clearly we do because your experience is so different that you can't even comprehend that we might need help, that we might need 
to find community and support in a way that is different from you which is weird because your experience is different from the straight world and like you have and there is a lesbian support group so go if you want like it's available everyone's different but you think the problem with um the gay world having an issue with bisexuality is all about the fact that obviously they generally have had to they've obviously had to struggle over many many years and it's sort of we're we're in some way sort of letting the side down a bit by the fact that we like we still like straight people and we still want to have relationships with straight people well, you know yeah, what I, mean? I, I think it, it can be perceived that way um i think it definitely can be perceived that way and also just bisexuality is very complex it's not it's not a binary despite our name right um and a lot of uh, this is my own personal opinion um but the straight world is very binary and for the longest time the queer activism had to operate in the binary in order to be seen and heard and so you had this and again perhaps it is bisexuality is that you can um present straight and it's safe um so we're invisible that way um but maybe it's also that sometimes that that from the queer community, some of those are also operating binary, right? And so anything that doesn't operate within the binary is scary and new and different. And I mean, that goes for bisexuality. It can go for non-binary people. I mean, I think bisexuals are non-binary too, um, just by our, our sexuality, but not necessarily our genders, although they can be. But so like, I think that anything that threatens the binary can be really, really unnerving to people. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, a lot of it too is, well, and especially for me, like, what you've, you got a nice house, you got a husband, you got two kids. What are you worried about? You don't have any problems. Oh, I just have a different set of problems. I just have a different set of problems, you know, and, and like, they're all valid. And they're all erasure and they're all prejudice. So let's work together <laughs> instead of beating each other down. We've, we've had society and all sorts of things beating each other down. Let's just kumbaya, man, and <laughs> get together on this. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What about your own personal side of things and in terms of how you, your sexuality has manifested itself? I mean, with me, I'm... I always think of myself as 50 50. Um, I, I'm more probably, although I'm more likely to probably have a relationship with a man than I am to have a relationship with a woman. I wouldn't yeah. say I wouldn't say I was non binary personally, but what would you, you know, how would you see it? And has, you know, how you see it now, has it changed from what it was 20 years ago? You know, what's, how's that sort of side of things? Yeah, my bisexuality um, is very fluid. Um, when I was younger, it was very 50 50. Um, and now, uh, now that I'm older, uh, I tend to be very sexually attracted to men, um, but I tend to be very romantically attracted to women. Uh, but I, but I like to have sex with women. <laughs> They're great. Um, I, but I, I think that for me, it's very, it, it's not 50, it really depends on the person. I, I'm not just attracted to men and I'm not just attracted to women. So, um, for me, it really just depends on the person. Um, but right now I seem to be hyper-focused on women because it's what's been missing or the feminine, I should say. 
And, but, uh, I I tend to choose one-on-one sexual relationships with, with men more than women, but I do enjoy women with men and everything in between at once. <laughs> it's great. Um, <laughs> and, and coming, back, coming, coming, back to, coming back to your husband, yes. um, you know, he's obviously on a learning curve at the moment, bless him. Um, <laughs> but, but do you think that you said at the beginning that he, that it wasn't, um, that his interest in you having relationships with him wasn't a, wasn't a fetish thing for him, right. but is it, you know, just, just, you know let's relax a bit for a moment and you know do you think he would be interested in it is it something that would actually you know turn him on or whatever do you think oh yeah yeah I think I think with women I think that he I, I think that part of it for him too is getting over his own um homophobia because it's rather unfortunate that it's okay to have a threesome with women but it's not okay to have a threesome with men. Okay. So that still is an issue that has to be worked on. Um, And it's okay if it's a hard limit for him. If he's clearly heterosexual, I get that. But if we're going to move from threesomes together to me being able to have partners, because he's monogamous, he's not going to have other partners. Um, Unless he wanted to, I'm fine with that, but... (laughs) He's monogamous. So if I were to have other partners, he would also have to be okay with me having male or, or non-binary partners. Um, and so that that is something that we still have to talk about and, and work through and understand where that's all coming from. Because, you know, it's it's new. It's, it's not his fault. You know, I think there's a lot of guilt and, and feeling um, less than on his part, which I'm working very hard to counter because it's not... It's not his fault. He's not lacking anything. I still would choose you. You're my person. You're my husband. I married you. Like I'm in love with you, and I don't want anything to challenge that. Um, but I am also a bisexual and have these needs for my own sexuality and my own, you know, sex experience that that I'm not being fulfilled in. And that's not your fault. It's just because of my sexuality. And we have to get to a place where that's comfortable. And that you are secure enough in order to to have these other relationships. No, I'm always coming home to you. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And has he got any male friends to talk to about this himself? Has he managed to, or is it all, he's basically the focus is all conversations with you? It's is, all is conversations he... with me. He doesn't, yeah. you know, in, in America, I don't know how this is across the pond, um, but in America, it's still very stigmatized for men, especially straight men, to have other male relationships that are genuine and close and more than just sports stats and surface level, how you doing? Um, it's, I don't think he has anybody to talk to about this. And that's why I, I, I want him to make some friends with my friends because I have uh, another bisexual friend who is also poly, who is married to a straight man. And he comes to all the events with her and whatever, and they could get together and, and figure out, you know, something, you know, tips or, or support or, or just, I don't know, anything. And I think that could be very helpful for him, but you know, he's, he's nervous about that kind of stuff. And I just gotta, 
I'm working on that slowly, hope, hoping that he can get some support with that. It's hard when you're surrounded by a bunch of straight people and it's like not cool to talk about your feelings, you know? Yeah, I mean, really, we, we talk often on the program, don't we, about the fact that um, we, we think it's, you know, the number of people who are out there are bisexual is the tip of the iceberg and there's so many people out there that are. And obviously, if, that, if, if suddenly they're all able to talk and say who they are, we'd have loads of different issues and people talking about, thing, you know, talking about, um, all their difficulties and dilemmas and blah blah blah, but but there is another story to this, isn't there? There's the other people on the other side who suddenly their lives, once the person's opened up about being bisexual, their lives are completely changed as well. They don't, mm-hmm. they're, they're not, on, they don't know how to navigate it because there's nothing there to see on TV or film or anything. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's a it's a it's a very very sort of difficult area. But um, mm-hmm. why don't we talk for a moment about? because I think it's quite interesting and we don't often hear much about it. Let's talk about your, you talked about the bisexual experience, talk about your, your poly side. So where did, where did that come from? Where did you realize that that was important for you? Um, also very recently, um, over the course of this year, and it just, at first I was very much like, I don't want to be a bisexual stereotype. I don't want to be hypersexual and like want to fuck everybody, you know, like, but I do. Um, and it's okay. <laughs> like, um, I had to, I had to work very hard at my own internalized biphobia and realize that I don't have to be monogamous to be an acceptable bisexual. And I don't have to be monogamous to be an exceptional, like housewife or whatever. I'm not a housewife, but whatever. I like, I, I don't have to be those things. And it's okay. If you happen to be the stereotype, that's okay. Because that's true to yourself. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it because society wants to tell us that those things that are stereotypical about bisexuals, that's that enjoying sex or multiple sexual partners or, or um, not being monogamous or whatever is somehow nasty and secretive and, and all those horrible things. And that's not the case. If you're doing this ethically, if, if, if you and your partner are on board, nobody's cheating. Okay. So like, it's okay to like sex. And especially as a woman, especially as somebody who was raised Catholic, like it's, it's, that's a lot to try and overcome. It's okay to like sex and it's okay to like sex with, with, with more than one gender for me. Um, it's important. And so being, I also realize that I'm capable of having romantic relations with people more than one person and that I have enough room for that in my life. And, and so it was kind of a realization that like, oh, this is how bisexuality is presenting in my life. And that's okay. I had to really work through that. Um, it was difficult because uh, I didn't want to be checking all those boxes. But then I was like, you know, actually, it's okay that these two things are tied together because that's just how it is with me. Um, I, I, which I think is one of the beautiful things about being bisexual is you have this immense capacity for love and connection with people and celebration of humanity. And that's a beautiful thing. Why are we being so uppity about that? I mean, we could use a lot more of that in the world. And I like being a part of that. Um, and, and, and that that's one of the beautiful things about being bisexual because we talk about so much about what's difficult about being bi. But one of the things that's beautiful about it is being capable of that kind of love for people is is a gift, I think. 
No, absolutely, absolutely. So your so your 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 husband has got to deal with uh, the buy and the poly, and he's got to. Uh, <laughs> poor, poor guy. <laughs> yes, and it's all come at him very fast, right? Because I'm a very introspective person. I've had 37 years to think about this, and this poor guy's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, listen, calm down. Just watch RuPaul with me. It's fine. Like. <laughs> You know, and and trying to bring him along because now I'm in a frenzy. You know, I'm like, oh, I got to do this because I've been suppressing myself for 37 years and fuck it, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to be me. And then he's just like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And so, you know, trying to be respectful of my own needs and respectful of him, knowing that it's going to take him some time. He has a really hard line to walk. I think <laughs> you, you alluded to this a little bit earlier on, but what has it done in knowing all these things? What has it done to your own sort of, you know, sex life, your own private life? Has it has it helped things a bit? Has it has it made things a bit more intriguing? What what? You oh know, well, has, yeah, has yeah, for for a bit it did, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, like one of the things, I mean, I don't know how detailed you want to get. Um, but you know, one of the things that we would do, or he did, he initiated, um, is that he would again, talk, talk dirty to me while we were having sex about her and what I would do to her, or she would do to me or vice versa. And he would also comment about what he was doing to me while I was engaged with her. And that was amazing. I mean, the first time that happened, I was like, what? That's the best orgasm I've ever had in my life. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. And it was just so affirming, you know, and that's the thing is it was coming from a place from him of, of understanding and love and like, just, we were just both like blown away by that. Um, so, th so that was a really good sign. And then sometimes we would watch porn together, you know, and he would ask me like, what kind of woman do you want to watch? or something like that. And, and then, then we turned that off and continue on what we were doing. It was great. Um, you know, I'd like to take that a lot step farther, but, um, I think it's going to take some time for, <laughs> how, how, old is, how old is, how old is your husband? Is he older than you, younger than you? Yeah, he's older than me. Um, so he is goodness. He's almost 40. Okay. Yep. So okay. he's not older by a lot, but no, no, by not, enough not that there's, time. That there's a bit of a difference yeah 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 so what obviously you're a mom and uh, you've got kids and whatever so how much do the kids know about you they don't know a lot about me per se because they're little um they're five and and three um so really what focuses around the kids is making sure that they have a good framework uh of acceptance and understanding so that when they do know that mommy's by there's not an issue. And, and it's beautiful. I mean, we have all the books and all the discussions and they're wonderful. Um, and <laughs> like when Jojo Siwa came out, I was talking to my son who is now just turning five today. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, Owen, look, look, Jojo, she came out today. He's like, oh, okay. I said, oh yeah, she can love anybody she wants. Isn't that wonderful? And he has said, you know, boys or girls or anyone in between and all the wonderful people. And he looks at me, he goes, well, yeah, of course, mommy. <laughs> you are a precious human being. Like, oh, 
So my husband and I consciously make the decision to raise them in a queer accepting way um, and to know that that's just the way it is. And we also don't specify partners for them. You know, we'll say, oh, someday when you get married to whomever, or you might get married to a boy or a girl, or, you know, we also encourage him to wear whatever he wants. And same with my daughter. Um, so they will prance around in giant princess dresses, voguing, um, and having a great time. And, uh, we just don't do the binary in in our house. There's no girls toys and boys toys. There's no boys clothes and girls clothes. They can play with whatever they want. They can wear whatever they want. Um, and it is encouraged. So if my son comes downstairs wearing my makeup and a big princess dress, we tell him how amazing he he is and the same with my daughter if she wants to do whatever it is she's doing you know she's awesome too you know she's playing around with his monster trucks you know that's encouraging um but that was also a big uh theme in my life growing up I couldn't understand why you had to be one thing or the other like I played American football um for the school which was a big deal in the time I I was growing up and I would go to school in my dress and my Mary Janes and then change into my football equipment and beat boys, <laughs> you know? And so we're just encouraging that kind of thing with our children as well. So that when I do come out to them, they understand what that means. That's excellent. That's, that's really good. It's really good. Cause and the thing is, you say, you know, what they won't have all that history and all that yeah. prejudice that's come with the lives that you, sadly you've, grown up in you know the world you've grown up in so yeah. really interesting to see you know as you say they're already, already accepting that they're, that they're oh yeah they're just like well, why wouldn't they be mom like what <laughs> you know and and they go to pride with me and they um you know they know what the rainbow flag means and we do we don't hold things back from them sometimes like we've there Kalamazoo is progressive enough that there's a lot of demonstrations downtown often and so we've driven past them before and my son has asked me what they're for and we'll talk about it. And eventually I'll be like, well, you know what, honey, it's really important sometimes that if there are those who can't raise their voice against what's wrong, that it's important that you do. Um, so we instill that in them as well. What's your, we talk again, we talk about this a lot on the program, don't we? But what's your suspicion, your own suspicion in terms of just your own life you know your life experience as to how widespread bisexuality actually is i think everybody's a little bi (laughs) i i think that um i think it's very common and i think that there are a lot of people out there who just like me didn't know what it was and it seems silly now that i do it's like obvious um but i think that there are a lot of people who grew up in a time and a place that it was very scary to be other in any way and that that can carry into your life i think there are elderly people who are queer and who will never be able to say it and and it breaks my heart for them um and i think that there are people my parents age who the same same thing people my age I think that the younger generations are a little bit easier going but that's because of the people who have paved the way for them um and I just and not wanting them to suffer the same way that we have and I think think a lot of people are by (laughs) not nonetheless though I mean I think I think the generation that's growing up now that your kids will will 
will end up in a completely different world in a way if oh. if things if things change because things are very slow to change in a way but i think yeah. they will but 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 you know we still have on bisexual brunch you know we've had recently um 20 something guys in particular from different mm-hmm. parts of the world contacting us all the time saying that they're in the closet they can't be open about their bisexuality whether they're in gay straight, gay, gay or straight facing relationships mm-hmm. you know and you think to yourself we get this mantra that things have got better and moved on that everyone's more accepting and that people mm-hmm. you know can accept all these different sexualities and gender and blah 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 but actually the, the bisexual side of things still gets erased constantly people just don't they don't seem to be able to have the discussions about it and it's yeah well it's so taboo right because there's this um air of mistrust somehow and again that's because it's not binary and our entire society is based on the binary (laughs) and so um anything that is outside of that is still very suspect right so how can i trust you if you like everybody but then i'll counter and be like well um you trust me with like before you knew this you trusted me with male friends right so this is not different i'm not walking around wanting to like have sex all the time like this doesn't change anything really um in that respect like you have to the trust still has to be there right um and gosh it's so hard to put into context because it's such a nuanced sexuality um and yeah i think it is very difficult for for bi people um even though i think it's very common I think, I think bisexuality is very common. I think just people don't know how to navigate it because it is so different than the binary. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. That's people know what that means. Right. Or I'm straight. People know what that means. But when you're like, I'm, I'm bi or I'm pan, um, people are like, what? how like it's so not in anything they have context for and I think that's what makes it so difficult too you know because then you're getting it from everywhere you're getting it from the queer community and you're getting it from the straight community and you're constantly defined by your partner no one tends to believe you right well well you can't be bi you've got a husband and you've got kids or you can't be a lesbian like or you can't you can't be bi you're a lesbian like you're married to a woman and hear the words that are coming out of my mouth my sexuality is not defined by my partner i am a human being and my sexuality is my own and and i think that's where where it gets really complicated for bisexuals absolutely and then the one thing that you've talked about quite at length is that whole thing around our well it's society sort of issue with sex as though though we we were ashamed to have i mean you know it happens a lot uh, in the bi world i think where bi people are constantly having to say uh, well bi people can be uh, most people who buy are monogamous you know Mm-hmm. What does it matter whether they're monogamous or promiscuous or whatever? It doesn't make any difference. Nobody's business at the end of the day. I mean, exactly, it's just- exactly. So we, well, well, we're only doing that is because we've been trained to think that monogamy is somehow better or perfect yeah. or, but it's rooted, especially in the United States and in, in, in so much, I don't know, especially for women, like chattel. You know, it's, it's, it's transactional and, and there's all of this expectation on what feminine means and what masculine means. And, and again, like 
it's fine if you're monogamous. It really is. And it's fine if you're not. But we live in such a, a society that really just hampers it down from the get-go uh, about what it means to be in a relationship with somebody. And, and they just don't have the, the, the experience or the context for healthy relationships that aren't uh monogamous and and that it but you know honestly though i think there's a big discussion about it right now um maybe it's just because i'm involved in it at the moment but i think that discussions around being polyamorous and what that means for sexualities is is starting to become something that's more talked about which i appreciate um yeah no absolutely absolutely no i I think that discussion will 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 continue but it's how how long it takes to get into the mainstream it really you know that's that's the issue really it's, it's, it's then, hard yeah it, it is what what then i always ask people this question what what now you've discovered that you are bisexual um what would you say in a nutshell is the best thing about being bad i think it is that 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 um large capacity for love i i i I like to view the world in, in um, a positive way. And for me, bisexuality is a really amazing thing that does that. Like you can um, have this capacity to love many people um, or many types of people in a world that could use a lot of that, um, I think. Um, to enjoy people for their differences and to celebrate them and to be a safe haven for others. Um, one thing that I enjoy about my bisexuality is when, when I'm able to be visible about it, I feel like I'm able to be the person I needed as a child or as a young person. And to know that that touches someone else who needs that um, is a powerful experience for me. It's healing in a way um, to know that there's someone who can look up and see a bisexual person and see that it can be okay. And that it doesn't have to look like this expectation or that expectation. Um, so I, I like, I like that. And I, and I just, I love how loving and beautiful it is. <laughs> and, and honestly, even though it's complicated, I love that too. <laughs> the complication is what makes it interesting at the end of the day. I mean, you know, and I think, I think we also, um, you know, it's not just about it's not just about sex and sexuality. It's about it's about life in general. And I I find that most people who are bisexual tend to be a lot more a lot more accepting, a lot more tolerant yeah. of different people's views and opinions. It's not all about being you know just because you don't agree with somebody, oh, you can't possibly be friends with them. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, right. that's the world we've created today, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's just it's yeah. crazy. So I I think you know I think it's um I th- I don't think it's just about you know sex and sexuality. I think I think it is very much about um individuals identities and nothing yeah and holding respect with, for it and space yeah, for yeah. it and and just acceptance and and unconditional love even platonic love right so this this ability to to see people as human as a fellow human being and then just be able to enjoy each other's gifts um with an open mind i think is something that that is beautiful about bisexuality Absolutely. Now, obviously, we've got Bisexual Brunch, and you've come to us through Bisexual Brunch, which is great. Yes. And we've got a good audience globally, particularly in America, actually, quite a big audience in America, yeah. more so than the UK, actually, which is interesting. Um, and we're very pleased about that. But I'm very conscious that there are still 
so few outlets that either talk about bisexuality or bring bisexual people together. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing you think we need? I mean, obviously, people, we've got gay bars for years and all that kind of thing. Is there anything you think, you know, that would really take the cause of, of people understanding their bisexuality far more onto another level? Yeah, I think that it's um, important for those who feel safe enough to be out, to be out. Um, I think having a lot of these celebrities who are coming out as um, bi have been helpful because again, part of what kept me in the closet for so long and in such denial is not having any kind of context for it. Um, So I think whether it's on a grand scale like that or a local scale, like someone like myself who throws up a bi flag in September or is openly like willing to discuss it, um, those things matter. Um, And when, when you can continue to do that, it allows that safe space to exist outside of places like bars, which are often inaccessible to the people who need it most, who are younger um, or not in city centers. So like in the United States, particularly, we're a huge country, right? And our states are the size of countries in Europe. And like for so many people in the United States, it's a lack of access. And so when you have people who are visible in your community, that creates that safe space for more people to be able to come out and be themselves and not feel, you know, suppressed. And, um, and those people can be really, really bright beacons in, in, in someone's life. And, and that then in turn changes society, right? Because you say, oh, well, I know my cousin is, is, is by, and like, she's great. And then you're like, oh, why was I acting that way then? Because like, you know, those little things add up. Um, so I think as much of visibility as possible, whether it's local or on a big, big scale, like somebody's super famous, but also things like what you guys are doing. Bisexual brunch was, God, I'm going to get emotional. It was so amazing. Because uh, it's what I was craving. I was in this like, you know, island. <laughs> I was just myself in the middle of this heterosexual, you know, world and just craving other people who, who got it and understood it. And not just somebody talking about us. Because often it was like gay people or straight people talking about bisexuality, or it was like some study, some scientist or whatever. And it's like, oh, uh, uh, you don't actually know. You aren't actually bi. And so to hear bi voices, um, especially I think through podcasts and things like that, it creates this sense of community and understanding um, that that helps reach the people who can't be in the physical spaces. Um, so I think that's really important too, because uh, I, I I don't know if I would have been brave enough if I hadn't had bisexual brunch. Oh, that's lovely to hear. That's really nice to hear. And, and you know, we've been amazed as well, to be honest, by the response we've got. I mean, obviously, we obviously knew bisexuality existed everywhere and all over the world, but <laughs> yeah. it's been interesting to hear people contact us who've literally said they actually realised they were bisexual through listening to us, which yeah. is amazing. I mean, that just shows you how far we've got to go with the issue, really. It's a long yeah. journey, isn't it? Mm. It's, you know, it's been- oh, it's so long, and, and I, I don't know if it ever ends, really. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, and that's what I mean is like, you have to have that platform. Um, uh, 
and and the important part is it's bisexuals talking about bisexuality um not this like what if scenario you know so bridget um, it's been really lovely to talk to you i wish you all the best of luck with your continued journey and navigating that journey with um your your husband who um you know tell him he's being he's been very good very brave and you know um at some point maybe we could talk to him about his experience yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but all the all the best of luck and thank you very much indeed for talking to us Yes, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And apologies again for the quality of some of that interview in terms of sound. Um, what usually happens if we end up having to do an interview uh, communication-wise via Zoom is we make sure we're recording quality either side uh, with using quality uh, equipment. Um, what happened there was that my side failed. I was out and about uh, just before Christmas and my side failed. So um, unfortunately, there is um, distortion on my side uh, throughout that interview. But I think you got the gist of it. Bridget has a fantastic story uh, to tell. Um, we always endeavour to bring you quality audio as much as we possibly can. I know that's important to you because so many podcasts out there, so many things online are done shabbily. The sound quality is awful and it's really important to try and make sure that our uh, productions are as good as possibly they can be. Um, so it's important for us that we do that and uh, we always endeavour to do so. Uh, but yes, um, great to hear from Bridget um, and it's great to hear from all of you actually in terms of people getting in touch with us saying that they're willing to share their stories uh, with us um, and it's really heartening that we're making a difference to so many of you around the world. Long may that continue and we know that the the personal bisexual journey story has become one of the favourites of fans of Bisexual Brunch. Um, another favourite, uh, or, or something that's certainly becoming popular, is the Ask a Bisexual feature, which Lewis, of course, created. And that's coming up in just a few moments after these messages. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Distinct drama. Fresh and original. Coming to Distinct Nostalgia, a trilogy of comedy dramas by Carl Chetty. Starting with Soft Centres. When I think of how I've wasted my life here. Starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie. Placing handmade soft centres and nut clusters into poncy dwarf coffins is hardly an achievement. And Joanna Lumley as Millicent. Oh, Frankie's well past this game. He's been here 30-odd years. He'll be carried out in a box. <laughs> it's probably a gold chockey box with red bows and ribbons. And the story continues in Hard Centres. Well, I'm supposed to be retired, you know, but I'm back in the basement in my own little chockey grotto. <laughs> Starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and Imelda Staunton as Millicent. I like your new hat, sis. I'll slap you in a minute, you cheeky run. You know it is my hat, it's my hair. Sebastian, just done it. Incidentally... Yes, and what's that dirty look for? Your senorita's gone, but not forgotten. My senorita... What did you do to her? Show her your erogenous zone. And we conclude with Dark Centres, starring Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and June Brown as Millicent. Is there something going on between you two? Chant to be a fine thing, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Helen Lederer as Mrs Hamilton. So he's given someone a box of hard centres instead of soft centres. So what? That's what dentists are for. And Christopher Ryan as Mr Hamilton. 
Things are already at half-cock. My tinnitus is getting worse, plus I can't sprint for a taxi anymore without wheezing and drawing on my inhaler. So that's soft centres, hard centres and dark centres by Carl Chetty. Available only on Distinct Nostalgia, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. Bisexual Brunch continues and it's time for our Ask a Bisexual feature. Something you want to know? Why not ask a bisexual? Right, so then guys, it's an interesting one this. Uh, We can have some fun with this, I think. And Nikki should know a fair bit about this because you're in the dating world, but not specifically this type of dating world. But I'm sure you've come up with something interesting to say. Basically, this is from Mike in America who says... How would you envision the perfect bisexual reality dating show? What would need to happen to get effective representation? It's a shame, he says, that the British show The Bi-Life was not renewed for a second season. Um, I thought The Bi-Life was great, found a way to watch it in the United States, uh, but it did feel a bit staged. So what's your thoughts on that? I remember The Bi-Life, and I agree, I think it was a bit staged. I think that's why it didn't last, really, because it just felt a little bit false in a way you had something to do with that at the beginning didn't you didn't you lewis you were part you, weren't you involved in it they, just, to be on it they um they invited me to the big fancy like screening stuff that, yeah. that, that was it they were just i think they were trying to keep all of the bisexuals with a mouthpiece on 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 side okay so they took us all out for a fancy um fancy shindig in london be like yeah you're part of this now <laughs> and of course it was on a t- you can't on a- slate it later on it was on a channel that didn't get a huge doesn't get a huge audience as well it was on a channel the- i couldn't even watch like I-, I was interested in it but they had to send me the links like so yeah. i could watch it because i just mm. yeah there was just no way i could watch it i don't even know what channel it was on it was something it was on the e- 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 channel yeah no it wasn't e4 it wasn't even oh. e4 it was the e channel the end the uh, e- exclamation yeah. mark channel. yeah that's the one that's the one so yeah i'm not one of those people that have that kind of tv i watch everything on my laptop no e- my- <laughs> exclamation mark i'm so surprised you even know what this channel is channel yeah i can't remember <laughs> that either but i mean i remember but- that much now bisexuality has come into certain areas hasn't it we've we've seen bi people dating on um i know the show you can't stand uh, naked attraction nikki it, does, <laughs> it has at least it has at least touched on bisexuality and, and, and i know bi who presents on. it is bi so that yeah. i always feel that's quite good yeah so it does so it is there it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not like you know ignored and actually i think on that show it's treated fairly sort of maturely really no, yeah, there's no quite massive question they don't yeah. make a big deal of it either way no exactly no. this person happens to be bi and we're showing mm. you a load of people men women non-binary everybody all in one one mix kind of thing i think that's fine um i don't know what you think about i mean i think you could i think i just think they just haven't done it properly yet i think they need you could have some real fun with a bisexual dating series not least because a lot of these people would be meeting other people who are bisexual literally for the first time, wouldn't they? Because as we've discussed many times, no, none of us know many people who are bisexual anyway. Absolutely. But I just feel as though if you were to do it, it needs to have some kind of, I hate to say educational element, but a little bit of an element in there that explains to people that there are different kinds of people who, who categorise themselves or think of themselves as bisexual. Do you know what I mean? Um, before you even get to the dating point. Um, that, I think that's quite important. Yeah, definitely. I thought found it interesting that this week it was reported that Love Island 2022 is going to feature non-binary contestants. 
but there was no mention of anyone being bisexual. And it's kind of like, well, isn't that just inevitable then? If you're going to have people of different genders, you're surely going to have people of different sexual orientations. And there was, again, no reference. And I was like, they really haven't thought about this again. It'd be far easier if they said, we're going to do a Love Island with um, straight, gay, lesbian and bi people and just put everyone into the pot and see who, who fancies whom. I don't know why that's so difficult for them. This is literally a theme on this podcast of like, they always jump over bisexuals. It's like, it's too much trouble. Then it's, then it's like, oh no, that's so like 2016. It's like, what? You didn't even talk to us then. I I honestly don't know what the stumbling block is. Somebody high up has obviously got a bee in their bonnet or has decided, no, we've done bi. And that's it. That's that. I think it's that simple. I don't think it's that they don't know how to do it. They just think, oh, it's not important enough. If they're going to go in with the kind of the gender issue, if they're going to kind of represent different genders, if they're going to feel that it's fine to embrace non-binary people, which it is fine to embrace them, by the way. It's just like, it's, like, it's very overdue. But if that's going to be the 2022 Love Island, how on earth are they going to escape bisexuality? Absolutely. Yeah. So, but, but, but why is the why is the non-binary thing, again, I had no objection to any of it, but why has that become so... So dominant when you think that actually they're probably, I mean, no disrespect to people who are non-binary, but I would say there's, there are probably a lot more bisexual people out there than there are non-binary people. So I, I don't get how that has got a bigger voice. It I, well, it I don't think it's about that. I think what's happened is that at certain points in history, the rights of a community become really vital. And I think we've seen over the past kind of five years a big debate about trans rights. And we've yeah. sort of, we're kind of on the... And by no means having got all the rights that trans people need but we're kind of we've kind of moved on in a media sense from that and so I, I now think they're next thinking well what what net what's the next group that needs us to fight for their rights and if it therefore it's non-binary people they need to be represented in all the programs about love sex and dating and then bisexuals have got left in like 1976 basically <laughs> well let, let's try let's try and answer mike's question if we can how what would the perfect show be for you um, Lewis, in terms of God, how would you if you were literally you had the you you had the you were setting all the rules, you could sort you know sort out the format and everything. What would how would what would your perfect bisexual dating show be? Oh, there's there's so many options. I mean, first of all, what to say is um, I do know, and I don't watch this show, and I think it's American, but I do know that The Bachelor is set to cast its first bisexual bachelor. What, from what I understand about the show, and if someone watches this, uh, do you right? It's like people vying, they, they want to end up with the guy, right? So if they've got male and female contestants all vying for this one guy that's bisexual, that actually might not be a bad idea because it's like, oh, these women and these men want to make themselves desirable to this one bisexual person. That's quite interesting. Um, so that would be one way. I think another way would be, you know, like they said with, with um, Love Island like last year where they were like, oh no, it's too, too much trouble to have any like bisexual, well, LGBT people. So then they've had a bisexual person on. But imagine if you just, the kind of rules of Love Island, just get an island somewhere, fill it with bisexuals, make them date. And I mean, just, you know, I think that could work. If we need to spice it up, it could also be a bit of a fight to the death. And they have to kill each <laughs> other one by one. Or we put one straight person in there and they've got to like, Weed that straight person out <laughs> oh, and kill them. <laughs> that sounds pretty brutal. I do think, though, what you say about, oh my gosh, you know, get an island, pick everyone based on the sole attribute that they are bisexual, but everything else about them has to be different. You know, yeah. their race, their religion, their gender, the way they dress, 
you know, what music they listen to. You make every other element different and the only one thing they have in common is being bi and then it will be very interesting. Yes. yes. Just no, look a little bisexuals on, a, on an island. It's not really that complicated. Just call it bi-island. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but but but, it, but equally, as I say, from a, from, from a serious perspective, I think it'd be nice to have, you know, when they do the little little bits where they're talking about the profile of a particular person, it'd be nice to go into a little bit of detail about them and their what their what their, you know, what their likes and dislikes are, but also yeah, how they see themselves. Um, we could we could maybe do a bit of history and mention Kinsey and do you know what I mean? Think I think I think it's quite important to do that because. I, I, I find more and more when I'm talking to people that um, I'm, I'm starting at first base with these things, with people who've no idea anything about it. I was talking to a friend recently who knows that I'm bisexual and I present bisexual brunch. He was asking me just the basics of it. And you could see within 30 seconds he was completely lost. He did, just didn't, he didn't get it. He didn't understand what it was all about. You know what I mean? One of the things that I was actually up for doing was going on first dates and the idea of like I could go on and like have a date with a guy, but then a couple of episodes later go back and have a date with a girl. Just so happened I met Laura just before that. But like I was like I'd emailed them and had a phone conversation with them and they thought it was quite interesting. Um and then it was like, oh I should have in a relationship too late. Um But I don't even think on things like first dates, they've even had a bisexual one that's gone on had a date with a guy and then had a date with a girl. I might be wrong, I don't watch it that closely. No. But I feel like I would have known it because I do I have Google Alert set up for bisexual, so well, I feel like I would know. <laughs> Michael Fabrican MP, of course, was the first person to go on first dates and be bisexual and come out right. as bisexual. But he was put on a date with a woman. Everyone presumes that he's gay. He was put on a date with a woman, and that's when he came out as bi. It's not quite the same as having a, a male option and female option, but, you know, that's kind of what happened. But it'd be quite funny, a dating show where you got either a very similar person and the only thing different was the gender. Mm. Or... Um, just very different people that tapped into completely different elements of your nature and then they saw who you went for and whether gender even mattered, it probably wouldn't, right? I guess it would depend on the person. It's, it's so interesting. I guess the thing about this, though, is who is the show being made for? Because you just then, like, what popped into my head was like, oh, my God, what if it's just, like, a first date show where you have one bisexual, they go on one date with a guy and then one date with a girl or, and then maybe someone that's non-binary, whatever it is. Um, but then I'm like, actually, that is that gets into like a really patronizing space as a bisexual person. But do do we need some like bisexuals willing to take one for the team that could do that <laughs> enough so then straight people get it? And yeah. it's like, oh, right. And then it's just normalized for them. We can all move on. And I, I, mean, I mean, like we've said many times on this podcast, as most bisexual, I think would agree. It's just almost impossible to separate out what is you fancying one person that's not the other person and how your bisexuality interplays with those choices right like it's just so difficult mm. just widening this a, a second before we before we finish nikki you obviously work in the, the the dating field as it were the dating app field and all that kind of thing um there is obviously grinder and there's tinder and all the other various dating sites where are we at when it comes to the bisexual side of things i mean i can go on I sometimes go on and have a play on Grindr and look at who's on there. And there are people out there who go specifically out there out, out to say that they are bisexual. Um, and, um, you know, I've spoken to a few of them along the way and the, their experiences are mixed. 
often it might be people who are like Lewis and I have discussed in the past you know sometimes gay men are a bit sort of curious about uh, bisexual men and feels find it feel it's a bit of a bit of a task to sort of seduce a bisexual man or whatever you get about that going on in other occasions you get people who are really just completely rude and will not even communicate with them because they're bisexual so where are we at with that it just seems to me that it seems why haven't we got yet got a, 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 a totally complete bisexual dating app? Why doesn't that exist yet? Well, I think it's because the statistics we have about the numbers of bi people in the world are not accurate. And because we think that there's only maybe, what, 5% of the population that might be bi, that isn't a critical mass big enough to create an app for. Because if you think about all the other things that apps are created for, it seems like there's an app for everything. But actually, the app for everything that there is, is always a critical mass of people, always about 20% of the population. So whether it's uniforms, people that wear uniforms, or um, LGBT is kind of an exception to the rule because that's on the low level. But uh, Muzmatch, Muslim dating, or you know, like there's, uh, um, Jewish dating, J-Day, or any of these things, there's enough of the people to make it matter. So, and I think that for some reason, because we still don't see, because we don't accurately see how many bi people there are, we don't think that they are, a, you know, a quotient of people that need our help. And that's the problem. Yeah. And, and also, I suppose the other thing is, that's interesting, is that I suppose that obviously on Grindr, the, the, the 99% of the people who are going on Grindr who happen to buy are by men uh, who are looking for, in that particular instance, often are looking for a date with a man. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's navigating that issue, isn't it? Of of, and I'm sure there's the same same thing happens with women on Tinder and various other places. But it's it's you know it's it's been that situation, isn't it? Whereby you have got the the variety of offers and possibilities all in one thing. I suppose it's selling that is probably quite a difficult notion, is it? Well, is I mean, we have conversation and i'm sort of sat here thinking why don't i just pitch a bisexual dating app go for it and we can be the advisors and like i know i know all the stuff you would need to do having worked for multiple apps by this point you know what i'm gonna do after this call i'm gonna go and see if there are any bisexual dating apps that are actually worth their salt yeah and if they're not not then then basically i'm not gonna take your royalties but we need to do a deal right now so we'll split split all 33.3 percent and we've got we've got the best idea for the next dating app i was gonna say i think there is a bi cupid i think maybe but i'm not really sure what that is or how that works okay i think we could make a really good dating app though like i have ideas maybe we should do it there's so many... You know what? This is the thing. If you go back through all of our old episodes, we've got so many ideas for ventures that just have not been done. Like, if there is a rich millionaire that just wants to finance our mad ideas... Like, but that, that's the difference talk- between an entrepreneur and somebody with just a really funny idea. We keep talking. They actually make it happen. We keep talking about having a, bi- bi- a bisexual drama or so. We're always moaning there's not any bisexual kinds. We could do our own. We could, could very easily I mean, make is, our own. This is a drama of kinds, isn't it? It's, 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 so, it's definitely a soap opera. <laughs> Ready to ask a question of your own? Send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say, for the attention of bisexual brunch, and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy. They won't bite. 
Okay, well that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening and we'll see you later. Bye for now. So then, Lewis, what's next? So what I'm off to do after this show is go and do some more shopping for the new baby we're going to be having. Oh. Yes, and I may have already known that at Christmas, but I couldn't say anything. That was one of the -the off-the-record things Nick and I spoke about over drinks. (laughs) When you said that earlier, I was like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. It's not your secret to tell. Congratulations. So what has the baby do? Uh, June the 1st. June the 1st, right, okay. Do we know boy, girl? No, um, the scan is on, like, the 19th of January, but, uh, yeah, I, so we'll have a look if we're going to find out, but, yeah. Um, exciting, though. So Three exciting. kids now, my God. Life has changed since my orgy days, hasn't it? Well, you've got, <laughs> you've got even more excuse for a dad bod now. That's just how I will see it for you. No, I, you know what, you guys, you guys were talking, I can't, I can't remember if this was before we even started recording this podcast, but you guys were saying, that, oh my God, New Year, it's so hard. I'm like, it's hard, but I've gone, I've gone back to the gym. I'm at the gym again now. I'm eating like so healthy. I am a new me because I'm not going down this way. I will not <laughs> be Gabrielle yeah. season five of Desperate Housewives. <laughs> And be Gabrielle season seven of Desperate Housewives. We'll, we'll check. We'll check, check in on your progress in the next episode. <laughs> well, and the thing is, I want to do a lot more topless pictures now. Like pandemic, hopefully, is coming to an end, and finally get back in the studio, get my top off. Here we go. <laughs> this program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.